Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. I forgot to tell you the name of my book. It's not an easy road, but Jesus. It's not an easy road. And in this, there's a, there's a chapter on how to deal with discouragement on the road, how to deal with depression on the road, how to deal with the thief, the devil on the road, power for the road, and so uh, it's got some wonderful stuff in it, but I forgot to tell you, even tell you the name of it. But uh, anyway, the battle for the mind. Last week we preached on spiritual warfare. We continue this week with this message where I think is the greatest need in the matter of spiritual warfare. It's on the battle for the mind. I was walking out of Cottage Hill Baptist Church. I think it was a either Sunday night or a Wednesday night. And I can see it right now. I was coming down the left side, and there was a lady sitting on the second row talking to someone. And I overheard her say, as the tears ran down her cheeks, why didn't somebody tell me the Christian life was such a battle? I thought to myself, that's exactly right. You know what we better tell new Christians? Christians who... People have experienced a new birth and are now having a new life in Christ. We need to say to them, listen, you're saved and you're secure in Jesus. But you are going to be in a spiritual battle until day you get to heaven. The battle is, it's a fierce battle. It's a raging battle. It's a battle that begins the day you're saved and only ends when you get to heaven. Life is not a playground. The Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battleground. And I am absolutely convinced that the battle is in our thought life. That is exactly where it is. The battle is in our thought life. You say, well, Brother Fred, now, what kind of battle are we fighting? Well, you know, I've said it over. We've got three significant enemies that we will fight until the day we get to heaven. One, it's called the world system. Do you realize the Bible teaches that Satan is the ruler of this world system? Not the created world, but the world system. He's called the prince of this world. And he is the prince of darkness. So every day I get up in a world system and I'm battling that world system of which Satan is the ruler and the prince. And I'll talk to you about how the world system is an enemy that you've got to overcome. Then the second enemy we fight is the flesh. I really believe it's our unrenewed mind. Paul said, in my flesh dwells no good thing. And the Bible says that when Christ comes into us, that he puts the flesh to death. But still there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. So we've got to battle with the world system. It's a battle with our own flesh, that part of us that wants to do its own thing. And then, of course, there's a battle with the devil, our demonic spirits. So we've got three enemies, and we're fighting them every day of our life. But the Bible makes it absolutely clear that this battle rages basically in our mind. Now, understand this. The awesome thing about the battle is this. Sometimes a person goes to battle and the outcome of the battle is unknown. But you know and I know and let me say emphatically that Satan, the world system, and the flesh was absolutely defeated and overcome by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. 
Folks, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Jesus has won the victory over the world system. He won the victory over our flesh. And he won the victory over the devil. I'll just give you three verses. In 1 John chapter 5 it says, Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. What a promise. He said, you believe Jesus is the Son of God? He's your Savior? You can, over, you can overcome this world system. Romans 8, 9. But you're not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. He said, man, there's victory over the world system. There's victory over the flesh. And then in James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I want to, con- I want to confess this morning and proclaim with authority Jesus Christ has won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And His victory is our victory. Praise His holy name. And you say, Brother Fred, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing defeat. I'm not experiencing that victory. It's because you don't know how to fight. And you have not learned how to fight. And you've not really learned where the battle really is. I'm going to give you three scriptures that will show you clearly that the spiritual battle is fought right here in your mind. Now, part of your soul is your mind, your emotions, and your will. You have a body that relates to the physical world. You have a soul that relates to the emotional and psychological world. You have a spirit that relates to the spirit world. And the spirit of God is to indwell our spirit and control our, our soul and control our body. But we've got to understand that it all begins up here with our thought life. All right, let, listen to Romans in chapter 8, and it talks about the battle. It says in verse 5, now hear me. If you, if you really wonder, brother, that the battle's in your mind, you, you, this, this, will, this will show you that it is. Romans 8, 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To be fleshly minded, to be carnally minded is death. Underline that. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now listen to this. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind is enmity against God. It's just enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. And then, of course, the main one, man, it it is so clear because it's all about warfare. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, that I'm going to use as my text this morning, I want you to listen to how it describes the battle. Now, now, Paul says in verse 3, get this, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh a physical body, We do not war. Man, underline that word. We do not war according to the flesh. We live in a physical body, but we're not fighting a physical war. And then it says in verse 4, In this war, the weapons of our warfare. We're in a war and we got weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But get this. They're mighty in God. Our weapons are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. 
And then it goes on and says, for the pulling down of strongholds. Now listen to where the battle is. Don't miss this now. In verse 5 it says, he said we're in a war, we got weapons, and we're pulling down strongholds. And here it is, casting down imaginations. You know where you have imaginations at? In your mind. See, he's talking about war. He says, but you've got to cast down those imaginations. You've got to cast down those reasonings. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That, that is saying that you not only cast down imaginations, but you cast down every way of thinking that is not according to God. Any pattern of thinking that would keep you from knowing who God is and what he is, you cast it down. So you cast down every way of thinking that exalts itself and keeps you from knowing God. Now get this. And capture every thought and bring it into obedience of Christ. Folks, he just talked about warfare and weapons. And then he said, now those imaginations in your mind, now you cast them down. He said, cast them down. And he said, every way of thinking that is contrary to, to the word of God and contrary to the heart of God, you cast down every way of thinking that keeps you from knowing God. And then he said, you capture every one of your thoughts and you bring them into the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the battle's in the mind. Carnal mindedness is death. Let, let me give you one other verse. You know what Romans 12, 2 says? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How are you changed? How are you changed? You change the way you're thinking. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, you've got to renew your mind. You've got to change the way you think. Now, as, as we think about this passage... The Bible says we have weapons and that we're pulling down strongholds. And obviously these strongholds are related to our mind. Because he's talking about that. Well, let me ask you something. Now, I know what he's saying. We got weapons and we're pulling down strongholds. We're destroying fortresses. What does he mean by a stronghold? I've had many definitions and many thoughts. But this is exactly what it is. A stronghold in your life is an area of repeated failure. In other words, if there's an area of your life that you keep getting defeated in, you keep getting knocked down in, you don't have victory in, a stronghold in your life is an area of repeated failure in your life. And you know what it is. It's that thing that you've said to God, just like I have. Now, Lord, I know that's a sin, and I want to promise you I'll never do that again, and that's the last time it'll ever be in my life, and I meant that, and I was as sincere as I knew how. But then it wasn't long till I got knocked off my feet with the same thing. See, a stronghold is an area of repeated failure. Hey, it could be a stronghold of bitterness. You say, I'm not going to be bitter toward her or him. I am not going to live with bitterness. And you do, but then you let it back in to your life. It could be a stronghold of unforgiveness where you just struggle when you've been hurt of forgiving people. And forgiveness doesn't mean approval. But see, so many people live with a stronghold of, of bitterness and a, and a stronghold 
of unforgiveness. Others deal with a stronghold of anger. It, it just got them in their grips. And they say, I'm not going to explode anymore. I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. I'm not going And there you go. See, a stronghold is an area of repeated failure in your life. It could be lust. It could be fear. Did you know stronghold? Fear can be a stronghold in your life that continuously cripples you and tears you down. It may be a stronghold of, of covetousness, greed. You never have enough. It could be a stronghold of alcohol or drugs or pornography. It could be a stronghold of an uncontrolled tongue. It could even be a stronghold of lying. It's just an area of your life that you know it's not right and you've struggled with it and you've told God, I don't want that in my life, but you just keep falling. It's called an area of repeated failure and it's a stronghold. But let me ask you a question. How do you get a stronghold? Do you just wake up one, one morning and, uh, you know, I've, I've got a stronghold of bitterness. I can't overcome that. I've got a stronghold of anger. I can't overcome that. I've got a stronghold of lust. I can't overcome that. I've got a stronghold of, uh, of addiction. I can't overcome that. I, I, I've got an, I, I just got a, a stronghold of an uncontrolled tongue. How in the world do you get a stronghold? You just don't wake up with, I was born with it. No, you weren't. Let me tell you how you get a stronghold. And this is exactly right. It always begins with the thought. It always begins with the thought. Now, when you receive that thought into your heart, then it leads you to make a choice. Now, you didn't start with the choice. It started with the thought that you received. And you received that thought. And then you acted on that thought and you made a choice. Then that choice led you to an action. The thought led to a choice. And then it led to the act. And then what happened was you repeated that act over and over again. And guess what it became? A habit. Now, it didn't start out as a habit. Back there, when you received that thought, you should not have. But you did. And you received that thought. And you acted on it. And, and you made a choice. And it led to an action. And it led to the repeating of that action, which was a habit. And then... As it gets entrenched in your life, it goes beyond a habit and it becomes a stronghold. But it didn't start out as a stronghold. It started out when you received that thought and let it become a part of you. And you just embraced that thought and you made a choice. And it led to an act. And it led to a habit. And it became a stronghold. Now this passage in 2 Corinthians 10 3 through 5, teaches us how to pull down strongholds, but how to prevent strongholds. Knowing that Jesus has already won the victory, and that the battle basically is in our mind, and that we've got to learn to cast down imaginations, any way of thinking that keeps us from knowing God, and bringing every thought captive to Jesus. Basically what I'm going to do today is this. I'm just going to talk to you about preventing strongholds. You say, well, Brother Fred, you're about two years too late because i got two or three strongholds in my life. We'll get to that eventually. Maybe we will this morning. I don't know. But I'll tell you how to prevent strongholds. If you're going to prevent areas in your life where you're out of control, if you're going to prevent areas in your life of repeated failure, 
Number one, you've got to have a guarded mind. You have got to learn how to guard your mind. And then secondly, you've got to learn how to guide your mind. You've just got to learn how to do it. Instead of your mind controlling you by the power of God, you've got to learn how to guide your mind. You know why I got so interested in this? Because at one time I thought I was losing my mind. You said you did, Brother Fred, but just didn't remember. But no, really, I did. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just as serious as I can be. One night in March of 1957, I had these thoughts that began to flood my mind. Now, I mean, I hadn't had any problem with it. I mean, my, my, my thought life, I mean, I, I, I mean, I was like, but I'm telling you, all of a sudden, it's like a, a door opened and a floodgate of thoughts just came into my mind 24-7, 24-7. Unholy thoughts, unrighteous thoughts, ungodly thoughts, unwanted thoughts. But I am telling you, I said, man, I'm not going to make it. So I went to see my pastor. And he was a good and godly man. But you know what he told me? He said, well, just don't have those thoughts. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I'm trying not to. And then I went to the doctor and he said, well, I'm going to give you a pill. That pill ain't cured no thoughts is all I got to say. You know the only thing that gave me relief from those thoughts that were just absolutely tormenting me? When I'd read the Bible, I would read the Bible and I'd pray and I'd get relief from those tormenting thoughts. But frankly, it got so desperate that I went to this man that I knew loved God, and I thought he had wisdom. And I said, listen, I need to talk to you. I said, I'm in serious trouble. Something's wrong with me. It's not, my Christianity is not working. And he said, well, what's your, what is it? Tell me what it is. And I told him I was having these horrible thoughts that just were flooding my mind. And he looked at me, and, and he asked me this question, which may seem simple to you, but nobody had asked me before. He said, do you want those thoughts? Do you want them? I said, wait a minute. Do you think I'd be here talking to you if I wanted them? I hate those thoughts. They're unwelcome thoughts. They're unwanted thoughts. But that's not the issue. They're constantly coming into my mind. And then he said this, and, and this will help you because it is true. He said to me, Fred, you've got to understand. The thought itself is not a, a sin. The thought itself is not a sin. It's what you do with the thought. If you receive that thought and welcome it into your life, then that is when it becomes a sin. But if you refuse that thought, if you refuse it and do not allow it to take up residence in your mind and your heart, that thought itself is not a sin. By the way, did you know that is so unmistakably clear in this passage? In Romans 10 it says, cast down imaginations. You can't cast them down if you don't have them. You say, well, I, all these imaginations. No, it says you're going to have them, but cast them down. Cast them down. It says you're going to have some thoughts that are not according to God's thinking. Cast them down. And then he said, you're going to have thoughts and 
The thought itself is not a sin, but you've got to capture that thought. And you've got to bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ. So now you need to understand all these thoughts that are troubling you and disturbing you and distressing you. And you know they're not holy and you know they're not right. And you know they could lead to destruction. And you deal with them. Then you've got to understand the thought itself is not a sin. It's what you do with the thought. And that's why you've got to learn how to guard your mind. To cast down those imaginations... Every way of thinking that keeps you from knowing God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So I want to talk to you about how to guard your mind. How to guard your mind. You know, if you're going to understand uh, about your thought life, you've got to understand that every unholy thought or unrighteous thought that you would ever receive Every unholy or unrighteous thought that you'd ever receive either comes from the world system, stay with me now, the world system, the flesh, or the devil. You will never have an unholy thought that does not find its source either in the world system of which Satan is the ruler or the flesh, your unrenewed mind, where he said to renew your mind, or from a demonic spirit. So you know where unholy thoughts come from, the world, the flesh, or the devil. But... In order to understand your thought life and how to guard your mind, you know what you've got to understand? And I didn't know this for a long time. You have to understand temptation. Now, now what is temptation? And why is temptation so strong? Man, I'm just tempted. Okay. Now, you know what the Bible says and I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There has no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted more than you are able. Well, I I just can't. That's too great a temptation. Well, that's not what God said. He will not let you be tempted more than you're able, but will, with the temptation, make a way for you to escape that you might be able to bear it. See, if you're going to understand about your thought life, and the battle for your mind, then you've got to understand about temptation. Because the thoughts come and, and we are tempted. You know, do you realize, and you do, that God has given us some wonderful God-given appetites. And by the way, they're wonderful and they're good. They're God-given appetites and desires. For example, every one of us created in the image of God. You know, we have a desire, an appetite to be loved and accepted. God created us that way. One of the tragedies is rejection. Where that happens to a six-weeks-old baby or a six-month-old or a five-year or anywhere. See, we were created not only to love and accept people, but we were created by God to be loved and accepted. And that's a God-given appetite to be loved and accepted. And then, of course, God gave us a, there was that God-given appetite, not only to be loved and accepted, but he gave us a God-given desire to be masculine or feminine. You know, I mean, let's face it. When, when, uh, what's the distinction between a, a boy and a girl? Is that when God creates, uh, 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 when, when a baby boy is born, he is born with that desire to be masculine, the desire to be a quote-unquote man. 
And that's inbred in him by the Spirit of God. And then when the girl is born, there's a desire to be feminine. It's just, I mean, that's the difference. That's why boys play with uh, bow and arrows, or I wasn't going to say guns. They play with something, they're balls. Boys play with balls, and girls play with dolls. That's just a difference. God-given appetite to be masculine or feminine. Hey, there's a God-given appetite uh, and love for creation. Have you ever noticed how God puts in us a love for creation? The mountains, the trees, the ocean, the flowers, the birds, the animals. That's a God-given desire. Then there's a God-given desire and appetite for food. I don't have to tell you about that. Some of you are already hungry. I mean, I'm just a God-given appetite for food. And then, of course, perhaps the strongest of all is the sexual desire or sexual appetite. Now, let me tell you something. Every one of these is good. God gave them to us. Man, to be loved and to, to be accepted and, and, and to be masculine or, or feminine and, 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 and all these things. A love for creation, a love for food and the sexual desire. They're wonderful gifts from God. And when they are satisfied God's way, those God-given appetites, when they're satisfied God's way, according to God's Word, they are blessed and they are wonderful. Amen? But you know what temptation is? You want to know why temptation is so strong? Because the world, the flesh, and the devil, they appeal to your God-given appetite. Oh, that appetite you have that's there to be loved and accepted, it's there. But the world system will say, or the flesh or the devil will say, now this is the way to be loved, and this is the way to be accepted. They'll try to get you to go in a wrong path that's against God's Word. Or they'll, they'll say, now, you really want to be a real man? This is the way to be masculine. Or you want to be a real lady? This is See, what happens, temptation is the world system or the flesh of the devil appears to our God-given appetites that are already strong and says, now, don't you satisfy those appetites God's way. Don't do that. Do it the world's way. Do it the flesh's way. Do it the devil's way. And see, that's where destruction come in. The reason temptation is so strong, we have the desire. And if we fulfill it God's way, then we're blessed. But if we feel it, the world, the flesh, or the devil's way, it's destruction. I'm going to give you three illustrations. And if you've ever heard this message, you've heard them before. But I ain't got any better, so I'm going to use them again, okay? I grew up remembering this, um, this rugged, handsome, masculine cowboy. Man, everywhere I looked, I'd see him. Man, he'd have on a, a cowboy hat, and he'd had a good tan. He had a mustache. He'd have on a leather vest. And, man, he was handsome, and he was rugged. Sometimes he'd just be sitting on a horse. Other times you'd show him with a rope around him, you know. I mean, this guy, I'm telling you, he was on every billboard I'd see. You'd open Sports Illustrated. It'd be a double cover picture of this guy. And, and I, I looked at this guy, man, and he was handsome, and he was rugged, and he was masculine. And I said, man, that's exactly the way I'm going to grow up to look. That's exactly the way I'm going to grow up to be. Did any of y'all know who it was? Tell me who it was. Yeah, the Marlboro Man. There have been four of them, and three of them died of lung cancer. But it's four of them. No, 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 they did. They did. Three of the four died of lung cancer. And here's the message. 
Why did they spend hundreds of millions of dollars to make this man, this masculine image there before them? Why did they do that? Man, you want to be a real man? You want to be masculine? I sure do. That's the way God created me. You want to be a real man? Then the way to do it is to smoke Marlboro. Yellow teeth and lung cancer. That don't make you a man to smoke Marlboro. Gives you emphysema. What they should do is show a picture of a person in intensive care with emphysema in both lungs. But it's a lie, see. But they appealed to the desire to be masculine. So, well, just smoke Marlboro. Hey, by the way, they didn't leave the women out. I know y'all didn't want to feel rejected. So they came out with this new cigarette for women. And when they got it on the market, it increased among women 30%. And, and it was this lady that was going to play tennis, you know. And, and she had on her tennis outfit. And she'd left the kids in day, day, daycare out. And she was just going to go play tennis. And, and what was the name of that one? Anybody know? What was it? Virginia Slims. Ladies, yellow teeth and lung cancer. Hey, don't do it. I want you to listen to me. You say, but Brother Fred, how does the world system put its thoughts in our mind? This thing about being mad. Hey, did you know you've got five senses and they're all blessed from God and I thank God for them? Man, you've got the ability to see what a blessing. And you've got the ability to hear. Some of us do. You've got the ability to hear what a blessing. See, hear, the ability to touch, and the ability to taste, and the ability to smell. Did you know every one of those are a gift from God? To be able to see, and hear, and touch, and taste, and smell. And think of all the wonderful blessings from God that flow through our five senses, through the windows of our soul, and bless us. But you see, the world system, they put their thoughts in your mind by what you see and what you hear and what you taste and smell and touch. See, what God meant for good, the world system means for evil. And it puts its thoughts in our mind through our five senses. You know, another one that occurred to me, and boy, you see this all the time now. This is, this is all the time on television. I mean, it's all the time. You know, at the corner of University and Airport Boulevard, for years, there was this huge, huge sign. And it was a picture of a mountain scene. Most beautiful thing. That's the biggest billboard. I, I, there's a billboard there now. I don't know what's on it, but... Boy, I know for years that was. It was this beautiful mountain scene. There was a snow-capped mountain, and there was a stream flowing down the mountain, and in the bottom was the green grass and the meadow, and everybody was having picnics and having fun. And here it was, August in Mobile, Alabama, and I'd be riding down, uh, you know, uh, University Boulevard, and, all, and, and it was hot, and I was going to get out, and I was going to sweat, and my hair was going to curl. I, I knew that. I mean, I knew that. The humidity. And I'd see, that, I'd see that billboard. And I said, my heavens, if I keep on driving, maybe I'll end up there. And I'll get out of my car. And it'll be 70% humidity and 68 degrees. But you know the only thing about that billboard? Right at the top of it was a, right at the very top was a huge bottle of Canadian Club whiskey. 
One day I said, what's that got to do with beautiful mountains? What's it got to do with the mountain stream? What's that to do with living, going down and having a picnic in the valley when there's low humidity? I mean, see, we love creation. God made us to love creation. But I got the message. This is what they were saying. You really want to enjoy creation? Now, the way to do that, you'll really enjoy creation if you'll just drink Canadian <laughs> Club. No, if you drink Canadian Club, you're going to get sick and throw up in the toilet. That's exactly what you're going to do. If you drink Canadian Club, you're going to forget what creation looks like. But they spend millions of dollars. And all this stuff on television now, you know, it's Coors beer, something like Rocky Mountain Coors with Rocky Mountain water. What in the world has that got to do with it? Because they know we like snow and we know we like mountains. And so they put all this junk, you know. And by the way, one of the biggest things they do is use sex to sell that, uh, that beer. Oh, yeah. They'll show you some scantily dressed girl and they're all having a beer, you know. Listen to me. The world system is committed to capture your mind. And it'll do it by what you see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. It's a temptation. You know, I got two others. And th this, this was really, really, this is big. It's gone so far beyond this now. You, you, you'll say that's no big deal. But I remember a number of years ago, Dale Champs was still in business at that time. And it was a Friday night, it was about 9 o'clock, and I was going through the line. And I knew the lady at the checkout. I'd been through there many times. I said, well, how are you doing? She said, awful. I'm not doing, I'm not doing good. I'm doing awful. I said, well, what's wrong with you? She said, well, do you know what day it is? I said, yes, ma'am. It's Friday. She said, well, do you know what time it is? I said, I sure do. It's 9 o'clock. And she said, I'm upset. I said, okay, okay. Why? Because I'm going to miss Dallas on TV. And like somebody that had lost their mind in the line, you know what I asked her? I said, well, what's going on on Dallas? I wish I hadn't asked her that. <laughs> I did. I asked her, well, what's going on on Dallas? All right, now listen to me. I started watching it just like all of you did, and I kept wondering who shot J.R. I know all that stuff, okay? <laughs> but one day it wo I woke up and realized, wait a minute, that's not the message here. You know, I didn't have to ask her what was going on on Dallas because I knew that J.R. was committing adultery with somebody. He always was. And that Sue Ellen found out about it, and she's back in the bedroom thinking about killing herself. And you know the message of Dallas? It's not sex in marriage where there's commitment and love and faithfulness. The message of Dallas was, it's sex outside of marriage. It's an affair. An affair, nothing, it's adultery. And they glamorized sex. Oh, my Lord, that, that's mild compared to what's on television. I'll never watch it, but it's mild compared to what's on there today. It's almost like you're crazy if you have sex inside of marriage and have, are faithful to your husband and wife. They say, listen, it's unbelievable how they've sold us the bill of goods that sex is not sacred and holy in the sight of Almighty God. You say it doesn't work, Brother Fred. You're just making all that stuff up. It doesn't work. Oh, yes, it does work. Because i got a stronghold. 
I'm telling you, it works. It's, it's so ingrained in my mind. Every Wednesday night after prayer meeting, I'd always have to go by the grocery store. And I always seem to have, I'd have to pick up four or five things, but mainly all, all, most of the time, three things. Bananas, bran flakes, and toilet paper. I mean, those were the three things I had to pick up. <laughs> well, I'm telling you the truth. And when I went in there, it never bothered me about uh, the, the bran flakes. I did not care as long as it said 100% bran flakes. Bananas, just long as they were not green. But you don't understand. I was and I still am. Still am. Un- totally committed to one kind of toilet paper. <laughs> I never buy any other. I never buy any other. And I never check the price. I was tempted the other day to buy some other, but I didn't do it. This is the truth now. I'm not lying to you. And I'm going to tell you what it is. You know why I'm committed? Because I got brainwashed. Because I never will forget how many times Mr. Whipple would say, squeeze it. Squeeze it. Squeeze it. It's softer. And I squeezed it, and he was right. And I still buy Charmin. I'm telling you, they did a, thing, did a number on my mind. You see, let me tell you something. The world system is committed to brainwashing you. It'll tell you how to dress, how to eat, where to go, how to spend your money. It'll absolutely conform you into the image. And you better learn how to deal with your thought life from the world system. And then, of course, it comes from the unrenewed mind. You've got a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. Every good thing, every godly thing that ever happened to you is in your, is in your subconscious mind. Every bad thing or ungodly thing that ever happened to you is in your subconscious mind. It's all there. And then there's a little window between the conscious mind and the conscious mind. And you'll get in a situation or in a situation, and all of a sudden you'll be thinking about something else, then pop. This thought will come into your mind. And you say, well, where where did that come from? Why am I thinking that? Listen, it was back there. Back there in your subconscious mind. It may have been good, but it may have been bad. It may have been healthy, but it may have been harmful. But it's there, and it'll trigger it, and it'll pop into your mind. And you'll have these thoughts and these feelings, and you know that they're not good, and you don't accept them. But you've got to understand where they're coming from. They're not coming from the world system. They're coming from your unrenewed mind, from the subconscious into the conscious. And you have to do to them the same thing you do to the thoughts from the world system. It's refusal. Some of you have had tragic experiences when you were growing up. And you're never able to get beyond them because in certain situations, those thoughts and those feelings come back into your mind and you do not have to deal with them and it causes you to do irrational things. I'm telling you, I've heard that story over and over and over and over and over again. The world system will put its thoughts in your mind. The unrenewed mind, your flesh, your subconscious mind, they'll come there And I could give you a thousand illustrations of people that I've talked with and dealt with who were crippled because of something that happened in their past. And then those thoughts would flick in their mind and their emotions would rise and they would make irrational choices based on thoughts that came out of their past. And then, of course, the one other source of of unholy thoughts is the fiery darts of the wicked one. It says, take the shield of faith and hold up the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
when I found out, you know what I found out where my thoughts were coming from that started in 57 and lasted for a year? They were the fiery darts of the wicked one. And when I learned that these were the fiery darts of the wicked one and began to refuse them and cast them down, that's when victory began to come. Nobody said anything. Well, that's a fiery dart of the devil. I'm not even sure they believed in the devil. I I mean, I'm telling you, I realize those thoughts, they're not coming out of the world system and they're not even coming out of my flesh. These are fiery darts of the wicked one. And the Bible says, take the shield of faith whereby you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I don't know what your thoughts are, what you're dealing with, but I do know this. It's either coming from the world system that through what you see, touch, taste, smell, and hear, or it's coming from back here, things that have happened in your past that are popping into your present and you're not dealing with them, or it's coming from a fiery dart of the wicked one. Now, this is the way you do, this is the way you, uh, you got to have a guarded mind, but this is how you guide your mind. Now, this is where the victory is. Are you listening? What you have to do is when those unholy, unrighteous, unwelcome, and ungodly thoughts come into your mind, the three R's that you've got to live by. Now, let me tell you one thing. Now, listen, you can't be lazy and do this. The Bible says be sober, be vigilant, and be diligent. There is a battle for your mind, and if you're just going to be lazy and let the thoughts just come and go, you are going to get kicked around like a football. You have got to be aggressive mentally. You've got to be aggressive mentally. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to learn how to deal with these thoughts. It says, cast them down and bring them captive. All right, number one, this is how you deal with your thought life. Refuse the thought in the name of Jesus That thought comes into your mind. You're tempted. It's not a holy thought. So what are you going to do? You're going to let it come in. Are you going to say, in the name of Jesus, I refuse that thought. I cast it down. I bring it captive. You know, I do that every day. Every day some thought will come into my mind and I'll just have to refuse it. And I know the same way with you. If if you're going to be alert and going to have victory, you see that thought comes, and it's not a sin. But if you receive it, it is. So you refuse that thought in the name of Jesus. You bring it captive to the Son of God. And let me tell you one thing. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, there's power in His name. And I guarantee you, you can take those thoughts and send them to flee in the name of Jesus. Secondly, you don't just leave your mind empty. You have to replace it with Scripture. Jesus, hey Jesus, in the wilderness, tempted by the devil. The devil tempted him in his body, an appetite for food. If you're the Son of God, command these stones be made to bread. Jesus refused the thought and replaced it with Scripture. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil lost that one. And then he tempted Jesus in his soul. Jesus, you need to be accepted. You need to be accepted. You need to do something to let people know how important you are. And so he said, listen, I'm going to take you up on the temple, pinnacle of the temple. Now, if you'll jump off, God will send his angels to catch you. And everybody will be saying, wow, look at Jesus. I mean, the angels came and caught him. That was an unholy thought. And Jesus, you know what he did? He refused the thought. But then he replaced it with Scripture. It is written, you shall not tempt 
the Lord your God. You think you've had bad thoughts? You think you've had unholy thoughts? You know the last thought? He tempted Jesus not only in his body and in his soul, but in his spirit. He took him up on a mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. See, Satan's a ruler of this world system. And you know what he said to Jesus? Jesus, you see these? I'll give you every one of these kingdoms if you'll bow down and worship me. The temptation to Jesus was worship the devil. That is an unholy thought. You know what Jesus did? He refused the thought and he said, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You refuse the thought in the name of Jesus. You replace that thought with the word of God. And then you pray in the opposite direction. You pray in the opposite direction. Give you two examples. All right, the thought comes in your mind is what you need to do is you need to get, uh, uh, have four or five beers or you need to do something to get high because you're kind of depressed and you can't deal with the issues you have. So the thought comes in your mind, well, you need to get some drink. You say, well, I refuse that thought in the name of Jesus. I don't have to do that because the Bible says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get my high not from that. I'm going to get it from the Spirit of God who fills my life. See, you refuse the thought, and you replace it with the Word of God, and you pray another way. You pray the other direction. I love this one. Here, here, here's a, uh, it could be a man or a woman. Someone of the opposite sex comes by, and, and there's, a, there's a lustful thought, whether it's man or woman, that comes into your mind. You say, I refuse that thought. In the name of Jesus Christ. For the Bible has said, flee fornication. Every sin that a man commits is against his own body. But he commits fornication, sins against his own body. I, I refuse that thought and you replace it with Scripture. And then you pray. If it's a lady, you say, Lord, now I, I, she, I want you to make her as beautiful on the inside as she is on the outside. And I want to pray, Lord, if she's married, you'd turn her heart toward her husband and bless her marriage. And that drives the devil crazy. You see, you refuse the thought. You replace it with Scripture, but you pray the other way. You will not lose the battle weight for your mind if you do that. Refuse the thought in Jesus' name. Replace it with Scripture. Replace it with Scripture and pray the opposite direction. It works. I'm telling you, it works. I do it all the time. Have to. Let me close with this. I was preaching this in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. After I'd finished preaching guy in the, at Eglin Air Force Base, he was a Jewish boy who had been converted. He was now a Christian Jew or a Messianic Jew. He was saved. He said, Brother Fred, I'm having trouble with my thought life. But I heard what you said. Refuse the thoughts in Jesus' name. Replace them with Scripture and pray the other way. I'm going to see if it works. I'm going to find out if it works. I never will forget the next night I preached. And after the service was over, and I just said amen. And he was sitting on about the fifth row, and he stood up, and I, I guess he didn't know what you're supposed to do in church. He stood up and said, it works. <laughs> and you know, it works. If by the power of the Holy Spirit, you work it. 
But you can't be lazy mentally. You've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. And man, those thoughts are going to come from the world system, the flesh. I refuse that thought in Jesus' name. I replace it with the Word of God, whatever Scripture God gives you. And you return it to God in prayer and thank God for the victory that you have. And I want to tell you one thing. You will win the battle for your mind. And you will not end up with strongholds in your life. But the battle, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations, every way of thinking that keeps us from knowing God, and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ.